Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Just a heads up for our listeners. The following conversation contains themes surrounding mental health issues and suicide. There are many, 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 many instances, I have to stress that, of unfortunately those who die by suicide who have not come into contact with the health or mental health system. This is Christine Morgan. Scott Morrison has recently appointed her to be his suicide prevention advisor. So suicide, when you go around the country, I have not met one person, and, and I'm not exaggerating this, I've not met one person who has not known of somebody or had it relatively close to their family. It's, it just depends on how closely has it affected them. So it's a very key issue. Morgan is also the chief executive of the National Mental Health Commission. Now, sadly, suicide is the leading cause of death for young Australians, accounting for over one third of deaths amongst our younger people. Also, suicide amongst Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples is around twice that of non-Indigenous Australians. In this episode of Australian Politics Live, I'm going to talk to Christine about her findings travelling through communities, and we're going to ask some big questions, including whether or not we have to start all over again with mental health. Christine, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you for your interest. Now, I just want to start with a really easy question. Sure. She says, laughing. Why is there so much depression around? Why have we got a problem with suicide? Mm. Because it seems to me that I read an awful lot about there's epidemics of mental health, yeah. illness, everything else. What I don't understand is is why. It's why. So... Look, I think if I take a very general approach to that, and then I'll come back more to the specific. So if you stop and think about it, Catherine, actually, as human beings, we're made up of our physical health and our mental health. But we're not used to thinking about ourselves in that way. We just take it as normal that at times we're going to be physically not as healthy as we could be. We might be physically unwell. We might actually be physically sick and we do something about it. We don't make that assumption about our mental health, but actually each and every one of us has an integral part of our humanity, our mental health. So I think one of the things that is happening, and this is a good thing, is that the level of awareness about the fact that each and every one of us has mental health and we need to look after it. We need to be mentally healthy and well, but we can also be unwell, mm. is becoming more talked about. I'm not going to say it's reduced in terms of stigma. That's a completely separate issue. But in terms of awareness about it, particularly amongst our young people, I think we are aware that we can have this. And so you will, if you look at rates of depression, let's look probably back now about 30, 40 years ago when we started through Beyond Blue and others yep. to talk about the fact that this is not uncommon, makes people aware of, oh, maybe 
maybe there is something wrong. See, if in an absence of actually understanding about mental health, we may not even pick it up about ourselves. Yeah. Mental health, yeah. mental health is not physical health. It's a lump or a bump. Mental health is about how we feel, about how we think, about our behaviours. So, do you think, in part, this is not minimising what's mm. happening in the community at the moment, which is obviously massively significant. But do you think it's a, as you say, there's been this period of consciousness rising, awareness rising. So people are now presenting more often than they used to. Self, well, self-diagnosing is not quite what I mean, but but they're aware that there may be a, well, a clinical dimension to how they're feeling rather than just being transiently sad or, or whatever else. And they're presenting, they're looking for, they're looking for help more often than they used to. I think that's a really good way to put it. And we don't clinically diagnose ourselves if we need to go to the GP. We might do a we might do a bit of a Google search. Google search but Dr. we Google. do actually go and get it confirmed. And I think that's right. But I think the other interesting thing here is that we are identifying a, a risk of something in ourselves to the extent we're familiar with that. Now, what I mean by that is depression is now a very common concept. We all know about it. We all talk about it. Anxiety is very common. But actually, we use two words, mental health, to describe a broad range mm. of what it is to be mentally unhealthy, unwell, having psychotic incidents, etc. And I fear that we still have a long way to go to properly unpack that whole concept of mental health and fully attribute different illnesses, different concepts of unwellness. Think of our physical health. We talk about having a cold or the flu or pneumonia or cancer or breast cancer. We we don't talk physical health. Mm. We talk the specific. So in mental health, I long for the day when we can actually fully articulate all those different attributes of our mental unwellness and therefore be alert to it. So you're absolutely right. We're alert to depression. We're alert to anxiety because we know about them. Mm. But we're probably not that familiar with psychosis yep. or with one of the specific disorders such as an eating disorder. It's only when something happens and is pretty bad that we go and research it and find out. Mm. And the Prime Minister, you you run the National Mental Health Commission. The Prime Minister has appointed you to, well, basically address high levels of suicide in the Australian community. Now, that appointment now is, what, probably a month or month It, it is about yeah. two months old two, now. Yes, two yes, months yes. ago. So you've been in the role... Not very long, but I know you've been on the road gathering yes. information and, and trying to point yourself in the direction of how you'll handle this uh, this particular commission from the Prime Minister. So what have you learned? Yeah, so it, it is interesting and it's actually interesting because my day job, as I say, is the CEO of the National Mental Health Commission. So I'm touring the countryside doing community consultations around what is the 2030 vision for what a mental health and suicide prevention system that works yeah. actually looks like. So along comes this fantastic opportunity and I've got to say it's a real privilege to be appointed by the PM to be National Suicide Prevention Advisor to him. And and you can't kind of separate the two. I think we need to be very careful that suicide is not one and the same thing as mental health. Mm. It is much broader. Yeah. But go into the community, talk mental health and you talk suicide. Mm. It, it's That's the reality. So what am I finding as I go around those communities? I'm finding that there are relatively high levels of awareness, as I've just said. There is certainly incidence of suicide much more broadly 
than I think the we um, have through our official data systems. That doesn't really surprise anybody who works in this area because we know our data collection is so, not the best it can be. So you mean that there could be more suicides than are being picked up in the data or, or less or what, what do you mean? So two things. Let's look at I think there are suicide attempts and there are suicides. Now, by definition, you can only report on those things when you have become aware of them or when they've hit the system. So you might have a suicide attempt that may not hit the health system. Yeah. And if it doesn't, it doesn't get reported. Yeah. There's a whole debate around whether somebody who self-harms is engaging in anything which could be akin to a suicide attempt. I don't want to presume you don't know what's inside somebody's mind, but there are many, 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 many instances, I have to stress that, of unfortunately those who die by suicide who have not come into contact with the health or mental health system. Mm. So suicide, when you go around the country, I have not met one person, and, and I'm not exaggerating this, I've not met one person who has not known of somebody or had it relatively close to their family. It's It just depends on how closely has it affected them. So it's a very key issue. One of the sad, sad things, though, that I've found as I've gone around the countryside, high levels of awareness, high levels of, yes, I know somebody who has been affected by this or I have been affected by it, but the levels of stigma against mental health and suicidation are so alive and well. Mm. And that's a real issue I think we need to face in Australia. You mean from the point of view of employers, family members? Where's, yes. where's the stigma coming so, from? So the stigma is a very self-identified thing. It is, I understand that somebody might have a mental health issue and I don't blame them for that. I don't think the less of them for that. But, oh, if it means I've got to disclose it about myself, what will somebody think about me? How will that impact on my job? How will it impact on my life insurance? How will it impact? I heard one very sad one I heard going around the country was and looking, say, at issues like domestic violence and a woman's refuge. And if a woman is in a woman's refuge and has identified as somebody with mental health challenges, what is the likelihood that that will be brought up in any custody battles around mm. the kids. They're very real instances as we go around the country of we are good at quite good at understanding about mental health, much better than we were, but at so many systemic levels we need to answer questions. So you do a visa application and on most visa applications you need to answer questions about whether you've had any mental health issues. Mm. And people are reluctant to do and that. And people are reluctant to do mm. that, yeah. I think in some of your early interviews you were separating the job with suicide prevention from the mental health system and you were signalling that you were looking for ways of, well, I don't know, earlier intervention or something outside the scope of the system. I want to talk to you about the system. Sure. But it's it's an interesting signal you've Very sent. strongly. It's so, a very strong one. So what do you, yeah. what do you mean? Where's your head? Okay. And I think this is that. very much where the Prime Minister is coming from. So... I think it's fair to say that traditionally approaches towards suicide and suicide prevention have come from health and from mental health. And the good, strong, very well-researched programs, activities right across the spectrum of prevention, intervention and postvention. What we're looking at doing here, though, is to say... Okay, those treatments really look at what we call the proximal factors. So somebody has been identified as being highly at risk. But we know that for anybody who is at that point of suicide ideation, that they have reached a point of despair. 
they've reached a point where they're giving up hope. So there is good evidence to say that you need to broaden the ambit of what you're looking at if you're looking at what are the pathways to somebody getting there. And that's really what I'm keen and interested to do and what the Prime Minister is is so interested in. In conversations I've had with him, he has said, look, what are those things, we call them, it's a phrase called the social determinants. Mm -hmm. What are those things which really can impact on any of us, which could lead us to that point where we feel such a sense of despair, loss of hope? And for those, you've got to look at things like employment, long-term unemployment and what that may mean for somebody. You need to look at your housing security. As you go out to Australia, you need to look at food security. Believe it or not, still in 2019, Mm. we have food security Mm. issues in this country. You need to look at justice, as in the justice system or where you've come into it. Absolutely, you need to look at trauma across the spectrum where that where somebody has experienced trauma in their life there is very clear areas of risk that could manifest themselves and so you're really saying i mean you've you, you've said it explicitly a minute ago you it's it's looking at a cohort of people who are sitting outside the mental health system as well as the people inside it. There'll be a number of people inside the mental health system who are depressed with suicidal ideations, right, right, that that are in the system, so-called. But then you're looking at a bunch of people also who have not been presenting as having long-term mental health problems that, that are basically undiagnosed if they're having mental health problems. So you're sort of coming at a set of characteristics that allow you to identify those people, people at risk earlier. Is that what you mean? I think it is. And I think I think I would even move away from thinking we're trying to identify a cohort of people. Yeah. And, and that's an interesting concept to explore because the way I would look at phrasing it is to say I'm actually looking at what are those distal factors that could affect any Australian So without wanting to make a presumption or an assumption about any Australian and where they're coming from, what are those things which actually, you know what, if if but for the grace of God any of us went through them, they could be cumulative on somebody and take them to that point where they feel as though they've lost all sense of hope. And those are the factors we're really looking at identifying. So, And then we're looking at saying, okay, once we look at those social determinants, let's use that phrase, it's easy, then how can we at a, uh, call it a cross-portfolio level, how can we actually go into areas that are not health-related and say, okay, what can we do in that space to actually be alert? And I've used the phrase before, others have used the phrase that actually at the end of the day, suicide mental health, in fact, but suicide is every Australian's business. Because what I have found on the ground is amongst communities of any size, any shape, wherever they are in Australia, they say, we know our people. Mm. Some communities acknowledge the fact that in 2019, we're not quite as good at doing communities as perhaps we have been in the past. Social media is a big impact, all those kind of things. But when we stop and have the conversation about who would be best placed to identify those who may be approaching that point yes. in the local community without a shadow of a doubt. They say, we know our people. Mm. And and when you think about it, the if somebody's not presenting into the health or mental health system, what you're really looking for is sort of subtle changes. And to pick up subtle changes, you need to know that person. Mm. So one of the things we actually need to do is not only identify what are some of those other causal factors. So when those causal factors hit, we think, Let's go into it. When a drought hits, let's be careful. If you have children who are in out-of-home care, 
let's be careful. Mm. If somebody has gone through a traumatic event in the community, let's be careful. Let's look at those factors. Let's go, okay, flag's going. But then also, how do we equip average Australians to be able to have the confidence to say, let's kind of have a conversation. How are you feeling? And then to go that step further, if they say, I'm not actually feeling great, mm. to do those basics of where do we go and how do we do it so that we don't ignore it. Yes, that's, that's interesting. Let me think, though, for a bit about the mental health system. Sure. Uh, because, I mean, there are, there are so many issues with the mental health system that will make this task more complex for you. That's right, yeah. You know, we can sort of range from... You know, you could you could pick any checklist. You could you could sort of identify that there's probably more health in or help in the mental health system for adolescents than there are for adults. Yep, I think that's um, a fair call. Yes, there's, there's yes. that. There's the fact that this system uh, basically responds to people who present with a clinical episode. That responds quite quickly and and, right. and forcefully yes. to people who presented emergency having tried to kill themselves mm. or harmed mm. themselves in some way. Yep. But if you're just drifting around in the mental health system, not feeling great, you come up on suicide metrics, but you haven't done anything, then people really don't know what to do with you. There's so, no touch point. There's no exactly. touch point at that point. Exactly. That's exactly so the problem. How, Christine, tell me, how, how on earth... Do you untangle this system? Do you think we have to start again? Look, I, that's a very live question. One I'm asking myself as I, as I work through this project to the, the Federal Health Minister on this one of what does it look like if we get it right. Then I stop and I realise our mental health system has effectively been, inverted commas, birthed out of our general health system. Our general health system is medicalised models. We, we are in our general health system when we are unwell, we have an illness, uh, we want it identified, we, want it, we use tests to identify it, we want it treated, we want to have another test to measure if that's worked. We don't really care about whether somebody's got a great bedside manner, it'd be nice, but you know what, just fix me <laughs> yes. and can I have the best that I can access. But when you look at mental health, mental health, as I said earlier, is about our thoughts, our feelings, our behaviours. So even to be able to communicate that to somebody you need to have a language and often the more unwell you are becoming, the more difficult it is to find the language to communicate that. Mm. You need to have a touch point with somebody who can identify that there's an issue and you're not really, in most instances, looking for a clinical diagnosis. There might be some component of that, but actually we reach that point in our mental unwellness through our life journeys. So you need to you need to be very engaged in that. And then you need, in order to really come out through into a position of recovery, very rarely is it just medication that mm. does it. Mm. You do need self-engagement. You need to harness it. So your question was, do we need to change the system? Do we need to rebirth it? I kind of hope we don't have to go right back to that point, but I certainly do think we need to broaden the scope of what the system is. So the entry point is not when you have a clinical medicalised illness. Yeah. We need to broaden it. We need to be able to take a multidisciplinary approach and a truly multidisciplinary. In the physical health system, we have a GP who refers to a specialist. In mental health, you need to have many disciplines involved at the same time, yes. working collaboratively. You need to engage the person and their family in whatever concept that may be because we 
we don't exist as individuals, we have others, and you need a much more work with me, not work on me approach. Now, quite how much change we need to do in terms of policy changes, in terms of service redesign, in terms of underpinning funding changes, that's an issue we're really grappling with at the moment. But I do fundamentally believe we need to take a different approach to mental health, to what we do with clinical health. Mm -hmm. And then then we're going to have to really do the hard yards because mental health and physical health happen within our same earth suit. Yes. So somehow <laughs> we've then got to bring it back put. together. Exactly. So, How do yeah. you? Because there are difficulties, aren't there? Like one of the problems that people identify in the system as well as the, you know, few others I just gave you on a shopping list before is often GPs, for example, if there is a drug component to the illness, to anxiety or depression or psychosis or whatever, Often the GPs are very reluctant to adjust the yes, medication, absolutely. change you from one thing to another because they don't feel they have sufficient expertise. Mm. So then you get in this feedback loop where That's you right. go to the GP, say, oh, I, d- I think my anti-anxiety meds aren't working as well as they used to or my depression meds or whatever. And the GP says, oh, gosh, well, you'll have to go to a psychiatrist for that. Go on a waiting list for a psychiatrist in a lot of places. Then, you know, it can be months before you actually get intervention. Thinking again back to your suicide, wearing your, putting your suicide hat on. You, you, the system elevates the risk factors. It, it certainly runs the risk of that because take that example you're giving where I don't feel my meds are working and you're right, in most instances the GP will say, well, look, let's get you back to your psych and you've got a long waiting list to do it. But also to deal with your, your mental health issues, you need that psychotherapeutic approach. Yes. You need you need that alongside well, the medications. Well, this is the other thing. For a lot of illnesses, I think the Medicare subsidy for a treatment by a psychologist varies by condition in terms of how much you can have a Medicare subsidised trip to the psychologist, if you've got a really acute ongoing mm. mental illness, you know, 10 sessions, I'm just pulling that number out of the do air, that, yeah. right? 10 sessions a year is not going to do it. 10 sessions a year is not going to do it. But then again, it gets even more complicated than that <laughs> because when you look at, say, Medicare for a physical health issue, let's say we've got how many dosages of treatment do you need? Or let's take it away from Medicare. Let's look at cancer. You know, you will have your dosages of chemotherapy or radiation therapy or whatever, and then you measure it to see how it's going. So when it comes to mental health, there's a whole basket of different modalities of psychotherapeutic approaches Mm -hmm. which need to be looked at, and one size does not fit all. Then you also need to look at, as you nuance it down further, do, if there is a specific disorder that's presenting, such as an eating disorder, Disorder, then what are the evidence-based modalities of treatment for that specific disorder? What are the evidence-based dosages of treatment? And most importantly, how do we measure along the way to see whether those that treatment is being effective or not? Yeah. And again, we take the risk when it comes to, and I said this with respect, very much respect to my colleagues in the therapeutic field. But we we do in parlance, in common parlance, talk about I go to a psychologist to get treatment. But that's a bit like saying, I go to a doctor to get treated for cancer. Mm. No, you don't. You, you, you've got to really nuance the treatment down to the issues you're dealing yeah, with. Yeah, exactly. And then we need a system that can say, okay, how do we even reimburse that? What do we do about it? Yes. So, yeah. so we have such a long way to go. 
mm. and, be, and being able to unpick that and really get it aligned properly. But we're on the path. At least we're on the path with it. And at least we're now able to say we can start to understand some of those complexities. And what about, too, there's been quite a lot of attention in the news over the past couple of weeks in particular about kids or, or a particular group of kids who are at very high risk of mental illness, and that's trans kids. Yes, the Australian was wrapped over the knuckles by Media Watch earlier yeah. in this week because they've they've established a new gender page and uh, and a lot of the coverage has been negative for uh, or negative uh, trans people yes. perceive it yeah. to be negative, negative coverage. Now, how helpful is that? I mean, it's it's not only we're not only talking about a system that needs you know, you're being incredibly polite and measured and nuanced, but needs a bomb under it basically, right? But you've got external factors like media coverage that that impacts on the well-being of Absolutely vulnerable does, people. Yeah. So are you concerned about that? If... The answer is yes. I think we need to be. We need to be concerned. We need to be concerned about what are those factors which influence people. And I think one of the defining attributes of the 21st century and the time we are living in now is the impact of social media. Mm. Now, I've always said that I don't. I'm, I don't hold to the fact that media necessarily owns shaping the conversation. I think the media is a conduit of what people find interesting to talk about, yeah. and we've all become. I, dare to say, armchair experts at nearly everything yeah. because we can all have an immediate opinion no, no, and, no, and exactly. impact. Mm. But I think the, the challenge we face is what is the impact of that on somebody and that impacts on them. Very rarely is it a kind of like it doesn't physically hit them, it mentally hits them. Mm. So I think it is a very significant factor of what are those conversations that are happening in the media and what are the vulnerabilities of people in terms of hearing those things. Now, we probably can't turn that tap off, but on that space, I often think we need to look at how can we help particularly our young people, but across all ages, to develop old-fashioned media literacy skills that are applied in the social media space mm. so that they can become a little bit more inquiring, a little bit more resilient, a little bit more, do I really need to buy into this? Because I don't think we're going to turn the social media off. No. I think we need to self-regulate it better, but I think that's a whole piece of work. And I think that goes towards, if, if I look down the mental health lens or the suicide prevention lens, then... I love the concept of embracing, and many in Australia say they want this rather than concentrating on mental health, being mentally well, yeah. emotional well-being, emotional social well-being, mentally healthy. And a component of being mentally healthy, I think, is being able to have that self-resilience. Absolutely. And I, I totally agree with you about social. Mm. Absolutely. And it's very, you know, it's like an open channel that can't be regulated. But in terms of mainstream media coverage, sort of going back to that, that example Again, of so, yep, to being chipped, right, yeah. um, it, it's sort of, I fear... I fear elements of this debate are kind of getting ensnared in culture war nonsense. That is, and that is, well. So, so I think I, I actually think. Let me see, let me see if I can look at it from this perspective because it's an interesting question you raise. If we go back to that essential premise I started with, that we all have our mental health as well as, well as our physical health, maybe the kind of the bedrock of what we're now talking about is the fact that every time you talk about an issue. If it's got a touch point with you, then it's going to probably have an impact. Yeah. And if it has an impact on you, it's going to impact on you subjectively. And when you get into the subjective space, you're dealing with your mental health. 
So I think I think we all as human beings have vulnerability to different conversations and different ways things are presented. And maybe what we are now is a bit more aware of the fact we can be vulnerable to that and it can have an impact on us. And, but do you think that Media publishers should bear that in mind. Look, I, I think I think they always have to bear it in mind. It's always a it's always a um, challenge, isn't it, as to where you have free and open debate, yeah, and how you do it. And I think I think what it comes down to, Catherine, that I have looked at in working in mental health and media over the last fifteen years, is it's not so much the subject matter content which is ever the issue; it is the manner in which it's communicated. Yeah, exactly. So I think we can own content, yes. but it's about respectful dialogue mm. and respectful presentation of it. That, I think, is the fundamental we need to yeah, grapple with. Yeah, absolutely. And um, look, it's pretty clear from our conversation that I really could trap you in the studio and talk to you about for, the, for about three hours about this stuff because I'm, I'm just, I am absolutely fascinated and, and so hopeful that your process will result in a change that the system needs. So what is what's your deal with Scott Morrison, right? What has he said to you? Has he said you've got to bring me a bunch of recommendations in six months, or what is what what is the understanding between the prime minister and you about about what you're doing? Right. So I think let's deal with the sort of the the roadmap, if you like, first. So the roadmap is to say, Christine, can we go further upstream? I, as first minister, have the capacity to actually have touch points across many portfolios. So there's an absolute rationale for myself as First Minister to be saying, let's look upstream, because if you just give this to the health ministers, they can talk to their colleagues, but they don't have the same leverage power. So firstly, can we look upstream and look at some of those what's regarded as the distal factors, the social determinants, and what are some initiatives that we can start to look at that might unlock some further preventive activity that we can take for the early intervention. So what are those initiatives? Secondly, what is, is there so the first the first deliverable, I guess, is to say by November, are there any what I would call low-hanging fruit mm. as to how we can coordinate things better, that we can do things better to kind of accelerate this along. So what we're doing on that, we're doing a bit of a forensic analysis at the moment of all of the things that are going on. And there are some really good things going on right across that spectrum of prevention, intervention and postvention. So what could we do in those spaces? Is there anything which is highlighted as an exemplar that we think Mm -hmm. could be picked up out of one state and moved across the other? Because, of course, we have the the challenge on this, that we have a federated model of healthcare, which means that it's not just what the Commonwealth are doing, but what each of the states are doing. So is there any exemplars that we can pick up? Um, Is there any better way of coordinating things? Is there anything which is obviously that we shouldn't stop or those kind of things? Then going into next year, it's saying without trying to take our foot off the pedal of any of those current intervention strategies that are happening, how can we take what the people who are currently working in this space are doing, come in, if you like, almost with a pincer movement from those upstream social determinants and say, is there some initiatives we can do that intervene in that space, mm-hmm. point one. Point two, should we be engaging communities? I think the answer is going to be pretty obviously yes. Yeah. If so, how can we do that in a more effective way? Are there some things that we can do? And then thirdly, what sort of long-term lens do we need to take on it? One of the issues that I think I would flag at this point is that we have had many programs that have been invested in many trials, many things that have started that have done good things and then have been stopped. 
One of the lenses that I'm particularly interested in looking through is the policy lens. Mm. What do we perhaps need to consider at a policy level which will embed some of these changes as distinct from being further programs mm. which are activity-based? Oh, hooray. Um, do you think, do you think, we'll, we'll end on this, do, do you think the, I mean, it's a dreadful question for me to ask and terribly unfair because you're not going to say no, but do you think the Prime Minister gets it? I'm actually going to answer this with genuine sincerity. I have sat beside him in the car and talked about this and said, what are you really wanting here? I have seen the sincerity with which he has said to me, I need to understand why so many Australians are feeling such a sense of despair and a loss of hope that this seems to them to be the way to go. Mm. I don't want that as Prime Minister. Good night to end on, I think, Christine. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for listening. We really do appreciate it. Production this week is uh, by Hannah Izzard and Miles Martignoni. You know the drill. Subscribe, share, tell your friends, all of that sort of jazz. And we'll be back again with you next week. Also be clear, Australian listeners can contact Lifeline on 131114 or visit lifeline.org.au if this podcast episode raises any issues. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Some places take you away. Some bring you together. Marathon does both. Marathon is Florida's family key with something for everyone. You'll find museums and wildlife refuges, wide open beaches, miles of warm, clear water, and the historic Seven Mile Bridge. For more about Marathon and the latest safety protocols, visit flakeys.com slash marathon.